When I was in high school, I found out that people walked in different ways. And I was just a freshman, and I'd been shy all my life. And I was, I was conscious of the way I was. Besides being shy, I was really short. Girls lapped me in about fourth grade. By the time I got to fifth grade, Sheila Vassar was a full foot taller than I was. And I spent my whole junior high career trying to claw my way back up into at least be taller than some of the girls. And by the time I got to high school, I was, t- I was a mental case. And in my school, it was square. Is this the way your school is? They build them square, and so the school made a square uh, loop. And every morning before class, we would walk. Everyone walked in a square. The whole school, everyone in there. Walking. Why did we walk? This is what you do. And I was so insecure about the way to walk. And I look around. Here are the basketball players. We call them jocks in Georgia. And that's not a, a detrimental word. It just describes that they are. they're all too tall. They just, they're too tall. And they don't know what to do with all those uh, extended joints. They totally are, they've got to do something with it. And so their walk was like that. It, they use every muscle in their body to walk. And they bend at the waist and they flex their legs. And wait. I, I can't do that. But I watch these guys walking. Could, could that be me? And I would practice that at home. I would try them. But 5'9", y'all. I couldn't make that work. And then there were, there were the football players. Oh, yeah, they're nailing the weights hard. And there was this one guy, his name was Mitch. When I was a freshman, Mitch was a senior. I actually got behind him one morning during the square walk before homeroom. And Mitch had this way because you've got to stick that chest. You've been doing your time in the weight room. You've got to stick that chest out. And Mitch had a way of allowing everyone to know that he'd been in the weight room, that he was a middle linebacker. And Mitch, he walked straight up. And he would get his chest out, and that morning behind him I noticed he's doing a negative slope on that back. He is so straight that he's actually walking like with that backward slant on his back. Mitch. Wow, he was so popular too. And I got home that day and I'm like, could I do that? It's a little uncomfortable. (laughs) But you cool. And that's what we're after. But I couldn't pull that off either. There was this one guy, Zach. You see, I skipped a year of math because I don't like math. They ruined me in eighth grade, pre-algebra. My teacher says, if you have two apples and someone takes from you three apples, how many apples do you have? Now, I'm a country boy. Zero. I have zero. Someone stole both my apples and stole one from somebody else, but we have zero apples. (laughs) She wanted me to put negative one. Now tell me how in the world can you have negative one apples? (laughs) Then they they start giving me things called word problems. I'm going, teacher, no, no, wrong class. Words belong in English. This is math. Math has numbers. They didn't even want to call them numbers anymore. They changed the language. I'm like, keep the words out of it. They wanted to call them integers. 
Well, there was a kid who got it. He was in physics with me my senior year. His name was Zach. And Zach had perfected the intellectual walk. It was like, I think your mathematics is on one side of the brain. Apparently, it must be on the left side because Zach, his head was tilted (laughs) sideways. And he walked like that all the time. It was like every step he took, he was contemplating something really deep that could only be explained mathematically. Zach, Zach Jones, the intellectual, he's walking down the hall that way. You always want to be walking counterclockwise with your head tilted to the left because that way you can bank the turns right on the corners. And that was Zach. That's some missionary friends. They got married and they never kissed, which is very cool. And they never kissed before their wedding. And so on their wedding day, it came time for the kiss. And because they'd never done this before, and they hadn't practiced in advance, uh, the girl turned her head, and the groom turned his head in the other way, which meant they were leaned the same way. And so they were like, oh, that won't work. So they both backed up, and they both turned their heads the other way. And they tried it again, and they still couldn't interlock with that. And so they stepped back, and they both did the same. It took them like eight tries before they could ever kiss. I don't know what they did. But see, Jack, Zach would have never had that problem. He would have walked right into it. I couldn't figure out how to walk, though. This morning, I want to talk to you about God's idea about how we walk. I want to show you an illustration. Let's say that I have all your sins written on this piece of paper, all right? I realize that I would need a much larger sheet of paper, but let's go with it. Let's take you and your sin, and I'll let this hand represent God. We're going to bring you and your sin to God. Do we have a match? Is there a match? Do we have a connection? No, no, this is worse than the missionary trying to kiss, right? You... No connection, because this one is sin, and this one is holy. No connection at all. And so God hates these people, right? Not on your life. He loves them. He doesn't like the sin. He hates the sin, but he loves the person. And because God loved them, God did something. Now, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John 1.14 says, and the Word became flesh. So I'm going to let my Bible represent Jesus Christ. So Jesus, as God, comes down and the Bible says that He, who knew no sin, became sin for us. Watch this carefully. And the Bible says that He, God, hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And the Bible says that he hath made him to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now as long as this person tries to become the righteousness of God in themselves, they're just not going to make it. Because they're unplugged. They're unhooked. They don't have any righteousness. And they don't have any ability to create any righteousness. And this is why I've never in my preaching life ever told a lost person to turn from their sin. Ever. And here's why. Where is this dude going to get any power whatsoever 
to turn from his sin. That'd be like telling a bottle of Dr. Pepper to turn from its Dr. Pepper. Sin is just not what he does. Sin is what he is. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately what? Wicked. How's he going to turn from that heart? It's the only thing he has. Romans chapter 3 says that his throat is an open grave. Jesus looked at the Pharisees. Those were people who thought they were righteous in themselves. And he said, you go down to your family tombs and you whitewash the outside. And you make it look nice and white and clean and holy on the outside. But on the inside are dead men's bones. And that's just the way you are on your inside. Your heart is rotted. To get this person to be better, you got to plug him in. you got to plug him in. God loves him. But he's separated from God because of that sin. So God pulls the problem out by the roots. And Jesus Christ comes. And the Bible says that when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. Made of a woman, born under the law to redeem them. Galatians 4 and verse 4. So Jesus Christ takes all that sin, bears it in his own body, pays a death penalty for it. I love Jesus. Three days later, rises from the dead to prove to all these people that he's done the job he was called to do. Throws the gate of heaven wide open so that anybody in the world can enter in by faith alone in Christ alone, and they receive it as a free gift by the grace of God. Now, I fear, I really fear for some of you, you've never understood this. Not for an hour of your life have you ever gotten your mind around grace. Grace is the only way you can be saved. You'll get it by grace, or you'll not have it. And grace is the greatest motivation in the world to make godly decisions for life. Without grace, you cannot make the Christian life work the way God intended it. And all through today, the world of Christianity, we have more holes in our theology because we've refused to lock down on God's grace. We've gone the way of all flesh. And we've told lost people to self-help. And it's wrong. But the invitation goes out to the lost people of the world to believe into Jesus Christ. Jesus told Nicodemus, believe and have everlasting life. John the Baptist, John 3.36 said, He that believeth on the Son hath eternal life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. Their theology was so simple. Their evangelism was so straightforward. It wasn't six things or eight or twelve or sixty or eleven it wasn't even two, it was one thing, faith alone in Christ. And it came with a promise, a guarantee from God, that if you rest your faith into Christ, it'll be everlasting life for you. And anyone in the world can have this. Please, make no mistake. Let me say this very clearly. There is a heresy that's, that's rampaging through America right now. It's a little heresy called limited atonement. It's the idea that Jesus didn't die for all these people. He only died for the ones of those who one day would end up in heaven. Why waste his life on people who won't be saved? 
That's heresy. God forbid that we would embrace that. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. The Bible says, He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2 and verse 2. I do this for an hour. Because the Bible is very clear, Jesus died for all. And all can be saved by believing into Christ. Now we're going to bring you and your sin to God. Do we have a match? Wait a minute, what happened? What did you do, Freddie? You changed the illustration. No, I didn't. I only added to it. We're bringing you to Christ now because you've believed into Him. And now you've changed positions. As long as you stand in yourself, you can't stand before God. But the Bible says that I now, because I'm a believer in Christ, that I am standing before God holy without blame in love. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. Because I'm standing before God, not in myself, but now I'm standing in Christ. And God will receive His Son without fail. Amen? Hey guys, are you excited about this? This is the best news I've ever heard. This changed everything for my life. I was a shy boy. I was afraid to speak. I was too short. I didn't know how to walk. I didn't belong to anything. And then I belonged to the best thing. I'm in Christ. When I go to eat, I put my feet under the table with the household of God. I'm in the best group ever. Now, because I'm in Christ. And God, for those of us who are in Christ, has shown us who we are. We have this identity that's been created for us. So as a believer, I want you to understand the promises God has made to you to show you how to live this life between now and when you're bodily with God. And he spelled it out very clearly. I'm going to give it to you today in three promises. And we'll start in John chapter 6. Take your Bible there, John chapter 6. I'm going to beat you there. John chapter 6, here comes a promise from Jesus Christ. He comes alongside the new believer and he makes this promise. John chapter 6, start it up in verse number 37. John 6, 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Here's the answer if you've ever wondered if you could somehow become unsaved. Here's the answer to the question, can a believer lose his eternal life? The answer is no. The answer is clearly no, and it's redundantly no. No way. If you were to lose your salvation, Jesus Christ is a liar and none of it matters anyway because he's not God. But that's an impossibility because we have God's word on it. The God who, I am not a man that I should lie. Verse 38, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he had given me, I should lose only a few. Now see, you should have already been trying to drag me out of the building, throw me out in the snow. 
he should lose what? Nothing. But should raise it up again at the last day. Verse 40, this is the will of him that sent me that every one. God's not afraid to speak superlative words. Every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. My salvation does not depend on me now. I had to believe in Christ. I had to trust him to receive the gift of God, eternal life. But now that I have it, my salvation is not depending on me. It depends on him. That's his promise. I'm not going to cast you out. There's no way that would ever happen. I am going to hold you. This is the Father's will as well as mine. And I am going to raise you up at the last day. Is that good for you? Is that good? Is that good? Is that good? I'm going to keep asking because you're not excited about this. This is the greatest news I've ever heard. I was a college baseball player. I'm a shortstop. I got signals coming to me out of the dugout. We got a guy up there who can hit the ball over 100 miles an hour. If there's a rock here and I get a bad hop, I catch one in the mouth. I'm going to the orthodontist today. I got signals coming out of the dugout. I got key words coming from the pitcher. I'm relaying signals to the outfield behind my back. I'm making open mouth, closed mouth sign behind my glove to the second baseman. We got double plays on. We got pickoffs moves. We got a bunt defense. We got first and third situation. There's so many things going on. Sometimes you think you're surrounded. God, I'm not enough. And then comes the reminder. I will never leave thee. Nor forsake thee. You know what this means to me? I'm not playing shortstop by myself. You're not excited about this. That's so cool. This rocked my whole world. To understand this promise that I am secure in Christ forever. There's not a place in the universe I can go that he won't be there with me. David said, Psalm 139, God, if I take the wings of the morning, you'll be there. You know what the wings of the morning are? If you get up early enough and you look over the mountain and you see the sun, you can tell the sun is under there and one, one moment it's going to come up. But before the sun shows itself, it shoots out these rays of light. You ever see those? And they go right Right out the top of the mountain first, and they shoot off in the space. Those are what the Bible calls the wings of the morning. Somehow, if you could get onto one of those light rays from the sun, if somehow you could jack yourself up onto the pointed end of one and ride it wherever it takes you, it's going, um, speed of light. We have to measure that in light years. Otherwise, if we measured them in regular human time, we wouldn't have enough space on the page to write all the zeros we would need. We have to call it light years. But if you could go to the end of wherever that sun is shining, God would be there with you. Is that cool? Is that cool? Is that cool? You're not excited about this. That rocked everything for me. God, if you would be way out there, you have no problem whatsoever helping me make a play right here now. And it was so awesome. That's my promise. I'm securing Christ forever. Look over at John chapter 10. John 10. Mark this one in your Bible. John 10 verse 28. I give unto them eternal life. Listen, if eternal life is not eternal, they named it the wrong thing in the Bible. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I'm just not going to lose my place with God. 
I'm in for keeps. It doesn't depend on me. It depends on him. John 10, 28. So I'm securing Christ. Jesus makes that promise. It goes for forever. Promise number two comes from the Father. John chapter 1. Just turn back to the left a little bit. John chapter 1. So the Father comes along, Christ the Son, and He too makes a promise to us. John chapter 1, verse number 11. He came into His own, and His own received Him not, but as many as received Him. Let me ask in this crowd, show me by raise of hand, how many we have here who have received Him? Let me see. Okay, good. Four of you. Oh, there are more. Good. Leave them up. Leave them up. He came into His own, and His own received Him not, but... As many as received him, leave them up. Good, very good. Because I'm proud. I don't raise both of them. I, I'm in Christ. I, yeah, I received him. I don't care who rejected him. I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to stay in. But as many as received him, leave them up. As many as received him to them, to them, this is limited. To the, okay, put them down if you're a wimp. Can I get an 8 by 10 of the picture you took just now? Good, thank you. As many as received him, to them he gave something else besides salvation. He gave them the power. Is that what you want? You want power? You want some? You want some power that comes from God? Sign me up, huh? Sign me up. I'm in. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. Now listen, he doesn't just say that they are called. He says that they become the sons of God. Is that good? Is that good? Is that good? So what am I? I'm a son of God. Now I know you want to go with a little false humility and say, oh no, this is not for me. Well, yes it is because that's what God said. Make no mistake, we're not saying that you're Jesus. Believe me, we don't have any problem with that. Jesus is the Son of God by nature. We are the sons of God by regeneration. And if I'm God's son, what is God to me? He's my father. Now I know that if we passed out a pop quiz, that academically you'd you'd fill in the correct circle on that. Yes, God is my father of all who believe. (laughs) My halo is on so tight that it's cut all the circulation off my brain. But I know intellectually God is my... No, no, no. I'm talking about have you ever stuck that promise into life where it counts? The God who sits at the control panel of the universe. The God who invented brain. The God who puts colors in the sunset that we don't even have names for. He's my dad. My father's in charge. And he promised me. Do you think there's anybody who will ever talk God into not being our father? Mm -mm. Do you think someone could rip us away from him? Get us out of his... Mm -mm. See, to do that, you'd have to beat up God. And there's nobody big enough or got stuff enough to do anything like that. I am the son of God today, tomorrow, and for keeps. And when I was a sophomore in college, when I was playing baseball, and there were things that I felt like could be over my head, God taught me that promise. I got it on my own. No one ever taught me that. I got it on my own. 
God is my Father. And I'm out at shortstop between pitches and I'm smoothing the dirt in front of me. And I'm getting all those signals and cue words and making signs. And I'm saying, God, my Father, I belong here. This is no accident. I am holding my post. And I'm good enough for this. You have placed me here to matter. And I do. See, when I was in first grade and I got that note home for my, for my mom, Freddie lacks self-confidence. I knew it was true. Do you know I still lack self-confidence? But I have a great big old God confidence. And that's the way we roll. That's the only way. See, I am a zero. I'm a zero. But when you put God beside me, now I'm a 10. And I have no lack whatsoever in God to do what I've been put here to do. Is that cool? Is that cool? Is that cool? So Jesus makes a promise. You're secure in me forever. God the Father comes alongside and says, yeah, you're secure, but I'm also your Father. I'm standing alongside my Son, and we together have guaranteed your security. We guarantee your place in the Father. I'll never be alone again because of the position I hold in Christ. So the Holy Spirit comes along, and He too makes a promise. Ephesians and chapter 1. Would you meet me there? In John chapter 14, Jesus is with the disciples. He's about to die. They're scared to death. First time he told them he was going to die, Peter rebuked him. He's continued to talk about it. And they have slowly allowed the idea to creep inside their thick skulls. And now they've accepted the fact he's going to die and they're scared. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And if I go away... I will pray the Father, and the Father shall send to you another comforter, capital C, it's the Greek word paraclete, it means one who comes alongside. And Jesus promised that to disciples just hours before he was arrested in the garden, and the next morning he'll be crucified. But he gave them that promise. It's true, boys, I'm going away, but if I go away... I'm going to pray the Father and He's going to answer the prayer. He's going to send to you another comforter. There were two Greek words that Jesus could have used. There's one is the Greek word heteros. Heteros means another, the way we use the word today. And if I were going to say, could you stick your shoe up in the air? Really high. <laughs> Higher. If I said, go and get him another shoe, okay? Will you go and get him another shoe? He could bring in a cowboy boot. That would be fine. That's a shoe, right? He'd have another shoe. He could bring in a pair of ballet slippers. And he's (laughs) fulfilled my request. Go get him another shoe. If I say, go get a heteros shoe for him, that's what he'll do. The other word is alos. The word alos means another one just like the first one. So if I ask him, will you please go and get him an ally shoe, he's going to have to get, uh, what kind of shoe is that? Describe it. Shoot. Uh, A skate shoe. A skate shoe. 
Going to have to get a skate shoes. Going to have to have a little aqua, a little black, a little yellow. Going to have uh, skateboard bottoms on it. He's going to have blue laces. He's going to have to bring another one just like the first one. Heteros or Alos, which one you want? Jesus said, Alos, I'm going to pray the Father and he'll send you another one who's just like the first one. He's the comforter. He's the Holy Spirit of God. That's a promise that carries through into the church epistles to us today in Ephesians chapter 1. Mark this in your Bible. This is life-altering. Ephesians 1.13, Christ, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed. So that's what God wants lost people to do. Hear the gospel and believe. And God guarantees that if they believe, they'll have everlasting life. But now here's something in addition to everlasting life that we got when we believed in Christ. It's called the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now across the world today, people are, people are doing all kinds of gymnastics to try and get the Holy Spirit. we got a guy down in America, at the end of a meeting, he'll come down, take his coat off, wave his coat around and tell people if they get inside the wind of his jacket, that's the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't want to be in the same building with that guy when the lightning strikes and one day it will, make no mistake. You don't tell lies about God like that. It's going to come out in the wash one day. We got a guy who breathes, calls people forward, breathes on them and says, my breath is the Holy Spirit of God. That's halitosis. (laughs) But here's a clear promise of God. This is what happened. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that you believed... You were sealed. You ought to underline that word in your Bible. Draw a circle around it. Highlight it. Bend the corner of the page down. If you, if you don't have a pen, a marker, highlighter, or a burnt piece of wood, or a sharp stick, or something, just take a knife, cut the end of your finger, and bleed blood around it. Mark that verse in the Bible, because it's important. It says that God is the Holy Spirit for you. He's the comforter of your life, and He came to you in the moment that you believed in Christ. It was a package deal. If you took Christ, you got the Holy Spirit. Freddie, I didn't know that, but it didn't keep it from happening. Well, Freddie, how do I know that? I heard a guy, he said it felt like a thousand pounds came off his shoulders when he trusted in Christ. I know another guy, he said he got warm, fuzzy, ooey, gooey things going up and down his spine. What about me? The promise is yours. You didn't have to get warm, fuzzy, ooey, gooey's and all that jazz. Oh, no, Freddie, I did. That's cool. Just don't make your experience what's supposed to happen for everyone. It's okay. Have your feeling. Cool. But the Bible doesn't say there's a feeling. The Bible says there's a promise. And the promise is not up to you. The Holy Spirit is not a reward for believers who do a great job on their probationary period to make sure they really meant it with God. Mm, you get it on the get-go. It shows up with your salvation package. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on Him And he's been with you since the moment you believed in Christ. Is that good? Is that good? Is that good? Is that good? Is that good news for you? Is it good for you to know you've never been a place where God wasn't since the moment you were saved? Is it good for you to know you'll never face an enemy? 
Do you have to be afraid of because someone shows up with you who's bigger than any enemy you'll ever face? Is that good? Is that good? Is that good? Are you afraid of algebra? Oh, please. God knows numbers. He invented all of them. He invented infinity. I am a Holy Spirit sealed child of God, secure in Christ forever. That's who I am. If the question is, who are you? The answer is not a name. Freddie, that's not who I am. That's what they call me. And sometimes people call me things that aren't really even my name. (laughs) But the question is, who am I? I'm a Holy Spirit sealed child of God. Securing Christ forever. I'm a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. Anybody else here on my team? I'm a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. You must be shy about it if you are. Identify yourself. I'm a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. I am a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. I'm a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. I must not have anybody else on my team. I'm a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. I am a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. I'm a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. I'm a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. Yesterday, I was a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. I can't hear you. Today, I'm a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. When tomorrow gets here, barring the rapture, I will be a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. No matter what my enemy looks like, no matter how big he is, no matter what giant I'm up against, I am a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. I'm a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. Do it with my eyes closed. I'm a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. It's true in the daytime, I'm a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. When the darkness comes on, the promise is still true. I'm a Holy Spirit sealed, child of God, securing Christ forever. That's who I am, and it's never not been true of me since the moment I believed in Christ. You're not excited about this. When I was in fourth grade, 10 years old, I was shy, I was alone, I didn't know how to walk, I lacked self-confidence, and on top of all that, I didn't understand how to do long division, and on top of all that, we had a boy move into our school, his name was Chipper. Chipper was one of those people, when he talks about his life, he's like, and, and third grade was the best three years of my life. <laughs> Chipper was huge. He was like four times bigger than I was. And Chipper had a head that was square. And Chipper's head was about the size of a salt block. And Chipper sat right beside me every class of the day, right there. Did I say he was four times bigger than I was and had a head that looked like a salt block? He was a cookie-cutter bully in the fourth grade. 
I also ate lunch with him, had recess, and rode the big cheese home with Chipper. And one day I was in the, in the bus. I would gotten on. I had run for the refuge of the back of the bus. Someone was in the back seat, so I took the next to last seat, slid over by the window, and took my position looking out the window because I didn't have anything to say to anyone because I was really shy. Here comes Chipper, bounding down the aisle. Does he ask permission? Does Chipper say, excuse me, Freddie, but is anyone sitting here? May I? Oh, no, Chipper doesn't ask permission. Chipper just bebopped down that aisle and just threw his big four times bigger than I was self into my seat. Air went out of the cushion. (laughs) And so now we're bouncing home with Chipper, the square-headed bully, beside me. Where he's been all my fourth grade life. And about halfway home, this happened. Right on the back of my head. You know how you go into denial when stuff happens? You're like, I don't understand long division. And there was no place to sit in the lunchroom when the kid in front of me took the last seat and I had to sit with another class. At recess, I got picked on. I'm the best athlete on the playground. But nobody wanted me on their team because I don't say much. And now this big square-headed bully has slapped me in the... That couldn't happen. It's impossible that that even could have happened. I must be imagining it. And just when I had almost talked myself into believing the non-reality of the square-headed bully who just bipped me in the back of my head. Bow! He did it again. You know, there's a point of no return when you're like, all right, I may be just about to get torn apart by this bully, but I'm at least going to say something. And I took a big suck of courage. And I turned my head to let Chipper know what I thought about him. And he was gone. Or at least his head was. And there was a thunk sound. My big brother, five years older, was the guy who was in the back seat of that school bus. And when my big brother saw Chipper Squarehead... Bip his little brother on the back of that. My brother grabbed Chipper by the hair of his square head. And the thunk sound was Chipper's shoulder blades hitting the back of my seat. And Chipper's now looking at my brother upside down. And my brother put a finger on his face and said, Don't you ever mess with him. (laughs) Chipper has never messed with me again. Because I am in my brother. I'm not on this school bus alone. My brother has my back. And ever since you believed in Christ, God's been out in front of you, clearing the way. Go this way. And God's been on your side. God has, as David wrote, hemmed me in. And God has been behind you. In fact, our English language, we don't have the prepositions that truly describe what God is for you.
He's inside you. And it's never not been true. Could it be that you're facing the problems of your life all alone? You really think it's all about you to figure out, throw a lasso around and hog tie it? You really going to have all the answers for your life? Do you really know the best way for you to go? Who do you want to trust? You are the infinite God who says that he's the promise keeper for you. I'm a Holy Spirit sealed child of God, securing Christ forever. And when I understood these things, I wanted to do something awesome for God. Don't you? Would you bow your head with me? Eyes all closed, you and God all alone. Let me ask you a question. Have you taken Christ? Have you believed on his name? If not... None of these are for you. You are all alone. You're going to have to figure out how to get out of the crowded theater. You're blind. You're going to have a hard life. And the best you'll ever have is the best you could scrape together off the bottom of the barrel. And when you die, you'll be separated from the greatest friend you could have ever had. The one who created your heart. But you refused him. Let me make a promise for you. You'll spend every day of a long eternity full of regret. And this life on earth is going to leave you with a bellyache, I promise. It's Christ or nothing that's good. When you change your mind about him. He loves you. He'd rather die than to be separated from you. Now, Freddie, my sin, I don't care about your sin. You don't have any sin that Jesus didn't die for. Won't you trust him? You'd be crazy not to. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. If you put your faith in him just now, then you just got it. Everlasting life, the seal of the spirit, the fathership of God, and the security that's in Christ forever. It's all you. The whole package deal just rested on you. Let me ask you a favor. Did you believe in Christ in this meeting or last night? Would you raise your hand just so I'll know that and we'll all thank God together. Could you just raise your hand for me? Thank you, honey. Good. Thank you and you and thank you. Thank you. Thank you, very good. Thank you, buddy, good, awesome. Thank you in the back, very good. Are there others? Could I just know about, raising your hand doesn't save you. I just can't see your faith like God does, and so I ask you to raise your hand so I can see that and know you believed in Christ a moment ago. And why don't we begin to thank God for how he's blessed us. Here you go, everybody with me, if you're in Christ, how about a great big thank you to him? It goes like this, God, thank you for giving me everlasting life by grace. God thanks that when I believed, you promised me that I'm secure in Christ forever. And God, thank you that you became my father when I believed. You're not only my creator, you are my personal father of my life. Thanks, Father, that you're bigger than any problem I'm going through. And I'll never be alone again. And God, thank you, you are my Holy Spirit of promise who sealed me under the day of redemption when I believed in Christ. And you will never, ever break the seal. 
And God, could you say it to him? Could you say it to him? It's very courageous. It's a gutsy thing to say to God. But it goes like this. God, because of who I am in Christ, I want to do something awesome for you. Not to pay you back because that would be impossible. But God, just because you're so good and just because I can trust you so much with my life. God, thanks for your awesome word. In Jesus' name, amen.